This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 231. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by Mr. Matthew Marister. Hey, Riley. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you too, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Stumbling over my words like usual. Today's episode is going to feature a whole host of fantastic news stories, bringing to you the latest information, updates, and news from around the industry. We've got stories about an FBI agent that was doing something that he shouldn't have been doing in a place he probably shouldn't have been doing it while armed. We've got a story of a gentleman that somehow managed to shoot himself in the groin, even though apparently his gun was holstered. We've got stories on legislative updates, laws that are being talked about, discussed, debated, and possibly passed in a couple different states. We'll keep, you know, we want to keep you apprised on those situations. And of course, we'll bring to you our latest in the Justified Saves segment. We've got four or five stories today that are really great stories uh, that I think you're going to really enjoy, including one where a gentleman uses an AK-47 style gun to defend himself in his home from two home invaders. So I... I, I love that. That kind of stuff just pumps me up. So I'm pumped to be here today, Matthew, doing the show with you today. So, yeah. What do you got, yeah. brother? I am excited. I, I, You know, like you said earlier, there were a ton of stories that we had to kind of whittle out of here. When I was making up the the uh, outline, I just ha- there were so many stories, not just news stories, but, you know, justified saves and stuff. And it, it was like which one can we put in here? You know? So, um, this, this happens every week, but this week was especially, especially trouble or, uh, difficult to, to whittle out all the stories and get them down to something that you wouldn't be listening to us for like three hours straight. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Now I just recently returned from a three gun match in Nebraska and I'm happy to report I survived another one. Um, (laughs) zombies in the heartland 2018. Uh, I, did not shoot quite as well as I hoped. I honestly, the shooting ability and skill was there. I felt pretty good. I I, sh- I shot very well, uh, except that it helps, you know, when you got to make shots over you know, fifty yards or so, hundred yards, definitely over that. Uh, it helps if your gun is sighted in, uh, and you don't think that it is sighted in, like like I thought it was, right? But it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a problem. See, so you know, you get to a stage where you got to hit targets at one or two hundred yards, and you're nowhere even close, and you're not even exactly sure what's going on at the time because you're under the pressure of the clock. And uh, yeah, so that was a rude awakening. Other than that, though, it was great. I had a great time, <laughs> Matthew. Hopefully, you had a great weekend. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of work. I did a ton of landscape working, so it was a nice weekend. Now it's raining again, but I uh, worked outside pretty much the whole weekend. Yeah, well, good for you, man. Yeah. My yard's looking disheveled and neglected. <laughs> <laughs> get so, out there, man. Yeah, hey, uh, hello, everyone. Uh, those of you joining us live on Facebook on the podcast, uh, I actually have a comment here from Emmanuel. He says, watching from Santa Ana, California, where you shared the story last week about the guy getting shot by someone in the drive-thru. 
yeah, crazy story that was. So, good stuff. Hey, today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation. We hope that you will check out Guardian Nation, guardiannation.com, of course, as always. Um, also, today's episode, uh, uh, it's not listed in our outline, Matthew, but I, I've decided to ad-lib it here just a little bit. Um, but today's episode is also brought to you by the Glock E-Trainer, glockeTrainer.com. And I mentioned that because... In our FBI agent story, I think he's using a Glock, and uh, I think maybe he needs some more dry fire practice. So, <laughs> those of you that are Glock owners and you are looking for a really cool tool that can uh, make your dry fire training more fun, interesting, easier to do, um, especially if you want to do anything you know where the trigger needs to be manipulated repeatedly without having to reset your slide, check out the Glock E Trainer, and you can find that at GlockEtrainer.com. And another episode sponsor today is we just recently concluded teaching the Triple Guardian pistol courses in Colorado, and we are bringing those courses now to Ohio. Yeah, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, in fact. So we hope that if you are anywhere near the Cincinnati, Ohio area, or able to travel into Cincinnati, Ohio, that you'll come and join us. What are the dates? July 13th through the 15th, I think it is. Yep. So July 13th through the 15th in Cincinnati, Ohio, at Impact Shooting Center. Come and take a class from, uh, not Jacob, Matthew and I. Jacob's (laughs) unfortunately not going to be there. Uh, I'll be traveling out for that, and that's not too far from you, Matthew, so... We will yeah. look forward to teaching the Triple Guardian. That'll be Guardian Essentials, Guardian Standards, and Guardian Breakthrough in Cincinnati, Ohio, in the middle of July. It'll probably be warm. It'll probably be muggy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we will have some awesome training and uh, a good old time. Yeah, definitely check it out. Check it out. That awesome training center. Um, and, uh, yeah, the curriculum's awesome. Curriculum's really good. So For sure. For sure. And finally, I just want to remind you that if you don't already have the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app, you're going to want to download that for your mobile device. It's available for Apple and Android devices. And the app makes it possible now to also get the podcast directly from within the app. So head on over to whether it's the Apple iTunes or not Apple iTunes. Oh, yeah, it is iTunes or the App Store. Sure. If you're, maybe if you're using the iTunes app, uh, app on your computer that's what it would be but use the app store app on your phone and download concealed carry gun tools or if you're on an android device use the google play store and download that app it's a cool app got a lot of great stuff in it well it is now that time for us to share with you this week's case of the week from attorney andrew branca of law of self-defense this is a good one so let's cue it up now Thanks for joining us for the Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. This Case of the Week is State v. Clinch out of the Missouri Court of Appeals in 2011. This case involved the issue of whether defensive force could be raised against a reasonably anticipated threat to take place in the future, or whether it required that the threat defended against must be an imminent threat, meaning a threat about to be carried out right now. 
In this particular case, we're really talking about defense of others rather than self-defense, but otherwise the underlying legal principles are the same. In this case, the defendant was the uncle of his sister's three minor children, and the children had been purportedly victims of abuse by their father, who would be the victim in this case. The parents were now divorced, and because of the father's court-recognized reputation for being violent and turbulent, he was permitted only supervised visitation with the children until he completed an anger management class. The defendant learned that the father was about to complete this anger management class and thus be a step closer to unsupervised visitation with the children. And the defendant determined to kill the father rather than allow what he anticipated to be further abuse of the children. The defendant learned that the father was to have another supervised visit with the children at a local McDonald's, and he prepared to kill the father at that time. The defendant took shooting lessons, bought ammunition for his gun, and bought targets to practice shooting with in preparation for the killing. On the day in question, the father arrived prior to the children at the McDonald's, parked his car, exited, opened up his trunk, and it was at this point that the defendant approached the father. He fired two shots at the father, striking him once in the buttocks. The father ran from the defendant, crying for help, and the defendant pursued him through the McDonald's parking lot, firing at him all the while. At one point, the gun jammed, and the father took a position of cover behind a pickup truck tire. The defendant cleared the jam, waited for the father to emerge from cover, and when the father stood up, the defendant shot him in the head. The defendant then walked around the truck to where the father lay on the ground and shot him two more times in the back of the head. Immediately after killing the father, the defendant set down his gun and he was arrested at the scene a short time later. The defendant was indicted for first-degree murder, and he raised the legal defense of defense of others. In effect, the defendant claimed that he acted in lawful defense of the minor children to prevent the father from abusing them again. The jury at trial found the defendant guilty of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole. He appealed his conviction on the grounds that the trial court committed reversible error when it instructed the jury that defense of others required that the threat against which they were being defended against had to be an imminent threat, a threat about to occur right now. The defendant argued that defense of others was lawful even if the threat facing the other wasn't imminent, wasn't about to happen right now, so long as the threat was reasonably anticipated, and in the case of the father's past abuse of the children had made his future abuse of them reasonably anticipated, especially once unsupervised visitation was again permitted, which was going to happen shortly. In support of this argument, the defendant noted that the Missouri Defense of Person statute has two separate paragraphs, one for use of non-deadly defensive force and another for use of deadly defensive force. The defendant pointed out that although the non-deadly defensive force paragraph required that the threat be imminent, the deadly defensive force paragraph didn't mention a word about imminence. Now, given that the defendant had obviously used deadly force in this case, and that therefore the deadly force paragraph should apply, and the deadly force paragraph didn't say anything about eminence, the defendant argued that eminence was not a required element of his legal defense of defense of others, and the jury instruction on defense of others should have excluded the requirement that the threat be an eminent threat. Here, the Missouri Court of Appeals held that the non-deadly defensive force paragraph and the deadly defensive force paragraph had to be read not in isolation from each other, but 
in combination with each other. In other words, the first paragraph, the so-called non-deadly force paragraph, sets the conditions that must be met before any degree of defensive force can be used, even just non-deadly defensive force. And then the second paragraph, the so-called deadly defensive force paragraph, sets additional conditions above and beyond those already set forth that must be met before deadly defensive force can be used. Because the any force paragraph required that the threat defended against must be an eminent threat, and the deadly force paragraph simply added additional conditions on top of those, that meant the deadly force defense of others paragraph implicitly incorporated the requirement of an eminent threat, in other words, a threat about to happen right now. A merely reasonable anticipated threat, no matter how genuinely believed, is not sufficient if it's not a threat that's about to be carried out right now. Incidentally, another way to describe a reasonably anticipated threat that's not about to happen right now is a speculative threat, one that may or may not ever happen in the future, and that will never be sufficient to support a use of force claim of justification. As always, I encourage you to read the whole case, and you can find that case in its full text at lawofselfdefense.com forward slash C-O-T-W for case of the week. If you enjoy this content, I invite you to join us for the Law of Self-Defense live show every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's totally free to either participate live or to watch the recording after each show. For more information, point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash show. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. There you have it. Another great case from attorney Andrew Branca of Law of Self-Defense. And uh, yeah, that's a kind of an int- interesting story, crazy story. I mean, the, the way that whole thing went down with that dude, uh, just the way he, you know, that case could have probably turned out totally differently had he not pursued the father and continue to shoot him and shoot him in the head and then shoot him again in the head after he was already down on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, that's Don't that's probably that. problematic to uh <laughs> to try to to try to defend against. But you know, it kind of reminds me and it's it's not exactly the same thing, but it kind of reminds me when I see on um internet posts about oh, yeah, you can shoot him fleeing felon rule. And it's like, you know, he, he just stabbed this person. So who knows what he's going to do to that person? He could go down there and stab that person. And it's like, yeah, he could, but you, you can't, you can't speculate on what he did, you know, um, based on, based on something else. And, and, and if it's eminent, you know, if he's running towards the person with a knife in their hand, his hand, and he's saying, I'm going to kill everybody here that's different but just because he committed a crime here and he's running off doesn't mean that yeah we can all say reasonably it's possible that he he either shoots somebody or stabs somebody down the road but unless you have separate articulable facts that lead you to believe that that's what he's going to do or he's capable or or he's even uh, you know uh that that threat is eminent you know he can he can uh, carry it out, then you can't claim self-defense on on the behalf of somebody else. So, um, I think it's I think it's a good explanation w- at the very end when he says, 
you know, the speculative uh, threat. You, you can't speculate on something and then um, yeah. act with with deadly force on a, on a speculation. Yep, that was what this case was all about. Yeah. Eminence is absolutely critical and necessary in in these types of cases. So anyway, good lessons learned for all the rest of us there. Um, it's always good to learn from the mistakes of others. Mm-hmm. Speaking of mistakes of others, well, we've got two mm-hmm. really interesting stories coming right up. First one is from thetruthaboutguns.com. And this is a video that I saw on social media over the weekend as well. Uh, definitely caught my eye. You know, it was kind of like, whoa, hey, you know, what happened here? And and the answer is we still don't really know exactly what happened, um, at least from what I've been able to find or see. The story goes, a gentleman uh, was, and it, they, they appear to be at some sort of gun shop of some sort. I mean, like you can see a bunch of uh, signs and things in the background, you know, night force uh, optics, uh, for instance, or or there's targets on the wall, things like that. Okay, so this guy, he is holstering uh, his Glock 43. Uh, I'm not sure what he was doing or, or what the context was exactly. Uh, the video is a surveillance video uh, from within this store. And he chambers around into his Glock 43, inserts it into his G-code incog holster. I'm not sure how we know all the details to some of that. Um, I guess maybe because there was, I know that there was a f- image here somewhere. Yeah, I guess it shows something here. I don't know. Oh, that's just a generic image from, uh, G code, uh, which is the manufacturer anyway. So he holsters his gun and all seems to be fine until he walks over and bends over to pick up like a bag or something. And somehow the gun suddenly fires and uh, for those of you watching on Facebook, I'm playing this this part right right here right now. He has inserted the gun into his holster, and he's walking now over to the uh, bag. And as he bends over, it fires. Um, he pulls the gun out of the holster, th- tosses it to the floor, pulls the holster out as he's undoing his pants, tosses it. Um, he basically is trying to get his pants down so he can, uh, you know, assess the the injury. Um, it, it appeared to be, according to reports. Uh, a bullet that penetrated through and through in his groin area, um, but he is reported to be okay in stable condition. And the one thing, there's a couple other lessons here too, uh, Matthew, and I'll let you, uh, pr- you know, give us your input as well. But uh, you know, because I'm, I'm not spending a whole lot of time speculating as as to what uh, happened there specifically. But uh, the one thing I noticed right away is is he tells the others there present with him to call 911 immediately. And there's a woman that's working there as well. And she immediately goes to what appears to maybe be some sort of trauma bag or, or kit or something. Because you can see she comes out with a tourniquet and she's ready to go. Uh, and that was pretty cool. Actually, you know that that she knew something had happened. He's saying call nine one one, and she actually repeats that and tells this other dude in the store, "Hey, go call nine one one," and she's getting the tourniquet ready. So, um, you know, quick, you know, pretty quick response there. And time is critical in a situation like this. If it had been a uh, an injury to an artery like the femoral, uh, he could bleed out in seconds. You know, uh, uh, potentially. So. Um, quick response and yeah, I mean, Matthew, what did you, what did you think about this? Do you have any sense for what might have happened? Yeah. So I, 
well, I got a bunch of people, you know, messaging me as soon as this came out and like, Hey, did you see this? Did you see this? And so I wrote, I actually did like a video a while back, um, on holsters because there was all kinds of, uh, you know, speculation. Anytime there's, there's a video like, like this, or there's a story that a gun just goes off while it's in the holster. Um, everyone's saying, Hey, you know, you got to get a good holster, but they don't tell you what a good holster is. And then they say, you got to be careful. Um, but I actually went through and tried to, you know, tuck my shirt in the holster, reholster. Um, I tried to replicate some of these situations, right, to to see how likely or what what's the scenarios that could cause this to happen. Um, and you know, frankly, even with deliberately putting the shirt in there, wrapping around the the, the trigger and reholstering it, it's not easy to make the gun go off. Yeah, I could do it, but it's not easy. Um, and so, you know, if, if you look at the video online, everybody has their, their own, you know, uh, analysis of it. And we don't really know a lot of the facts. And I, like, like you said, I don't know how they know what type of gun was it was and what type of holster yet. They don't know if the gun was modified, if there was something wrong with the holster, or, you know. So I'm not exactly sure if that's legitimate new or facts or what, but let's say it is. Um, so you have a Kydex holster, right? And, and so it should be formed to the gun, provided that's that's that holster is for that gun. Now maybe he had a gun, maybe he had a holster for a different gun and he tried to modify it to fit that gun. I don't know. Um, that's a possibility. Maybe the gun was modified. That's a possibility, um, where, you know, some of the tolerances were just off, um, aftermarket parts or just, you know, home modification of your stuff. Um, both of those things are, are a factor, but it doesn't look like his exterior shirt was tucked in or right. got caught in the holster, right? Cause he pulls it out. Yeah, you, you can see, see clearly there. it's, it's pulled up fairly, you know, to his mid chest. Yeah. So, so he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, it doesn't look like that shirt. Now he does have an undershirt on underneath it. It looks like a white shirt, but you know, it doesn't look like that gets caught in there. It doesn't yeah. look like he's struggling to holster it. So in, it, it, it's almost like, you know, you would assume that the, the act of bending over is what caused it to fire. It could, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's true, or maybe it was just a timing thing. I, maybe it's a problem with the ammunition. I don't know. Um, but there's more to this than just, you know, appendix carry is dangerous or, you know, that's why I don't appendix carry. And, and, and that's like, I, I, and I understand that's a knee jerk reaction, but you have to look at the facts and find out what went wrong because something did go wrong it, it, because guns just don't fire on their own. So something did go wrong. And until we find out what it was, um, it's, it, it's, it's not beneficial to, you know, say, you know, carry without one in the chamber, that's safer, or don't carry appendix or don't do this, or that's why I don't carry a Glock 43. And I hate incog holsters. And it's like, we don't even know the facts yet. So hopefully <laughs> there's kind of like a, you know, an after action report that comes out and, uh, and, you know, addresses all these, all these situations. I mean, if anybody knows the guy who's involved in this or he's listening or something, I'd love to talk to him. If totally. he, you know, emails the podcast, we'd love to get him on. And, and that way we could really help everybody out there carry safer or find out what's going on or what happened. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the, um, this is what I was thinking about. I mean, oh, for, first of all, for those that aren't familiar with the G-Code uh, incog holsters, they are an all-Kydex holster, meaning the, the front, the back, 
is Kydex. It's solid. Uh, they're well-made. I have one. Uh, for a Glock 43, I have this very same setup and have worn it and carried with it many times. In fact, it's what I was carrying with at the NRA show last year. And I had complete confidence with it. I, I would still say I have complete confidence with it. I can't imagine any scenario where that holster fails and allows somehow that trigger to be activated while the gun's in the holster. I can't. Uh, I have to think that uh, there is something somehow caught in the trigger guard while he was holstering. It doesn't appear to be a shirt. I don't know. Maybe there's, I don't know. It, it's really strange. Now, here's one thing I surmised, Matthew. And I know you did a lot of testing for your one article where you attempted to stuff your T-shirt and different things you know, into the trigger guard as you were holstering a gun. And you found it was, and of course, you did it safely. You know, you uh, took some safety <laughs> precautions to do that safely. And you found it's harder than you might think. Now, that was your experience, and I think it's fair to say that that might not be the case for everybody. Um, that you know that that we could test a, a variety of different types of shirts, materials, different types of guns, triggers, et cetera, et cetera, um, and maybe find that it you know in some cases it is fairly easy to do, and whereas other cases like what you found with your setup that it wasn't that easy to accomplish. Um, but what I wondered is if he somehow failed to get the the gun actually all the way into the holster, right? And that as he bent down, the trigger guard is exposed. So in other words, the gun is partially into the holster and he just failed to get it all the way in. And maybe he's got like a little belt buckle or something there where as he bent down, the trigger guard is exposed and that works its way into the trigger, you know, because you can kind of see. And it also, he doesn't appear to really have a gut, but if you got a little bit, and actually you don't have to have a gut for this to be true, but you might find that as you, as you carry in the appendix position and you bend over, occasionally your body will ride over the back of the gun and 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 put some some pressure there and maybe that forced it further in and something from his pants or his shirt at that point or his belt or belt buckle uh because the the gun failed to be inserted properly or all the way maybe that is what activated the trigger i don't know that's kind of as I, I've tried to imagine how this would happen, knowing that I have experience with both the, that gun and that holster, and that's the one thing I've kind of, for me personally, been able to come up with is, did he fail to get the gun all the way in the holster as he supposedly holstered it? Now, by the way, for all of you listening, uh, my caveat to all of this would be, and I titled this episode... <laughs> I was having fun with it. I titled it, you know, maybe appendix carry isn't safe after all. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily the case based on this one instance. Uh, I think that it can be an unsafe carry method if you yourself don't take the proper precautions and don't take it seriously enough. I've done appendix carry for quite a while now, uh, and I feel completely confident in the carry method using appropriate gear and using your brain thinking about what it is you're doing when you're handling that gun and that holster if you want the most safe fail-proof way of ensuring this sort of thing doesn't happen take the holster off and i do i, I do this many times uh, and it's easy to do particularly i've got the uh 
I've been carrying my Glock, or not my Glock, my SIG P365 uh, quite a bit lately in a, um, I'm having a brain fart, John Hapman, uh, <laughs> owner of, holy cow, Filster, gee whiz, where did my brain go? Uh, in a Filster Classic holster, uh, P365 in a Filster Classic holster, uh, which uses a soft loop. It's very easy to click that loop off, pull the holster out, put the gun in the holster, slip it back in, and secure the loop. If you want the most fail-safe way of carrying appendix, take the holster off, put the gun in the holster, put it back on. So... In an emergency situation, you don't have to do that. And I wouldn't expect you to have to do that. Uh, in, a, in an emergency situation, which hopefully shouldn't have to occur in a civilian context where you need to go back to that holster quickly, um, make sure you're using solid finger, trigger finger discipline and that you're keeping stuff away from the trigger guard and the holster. That's all I have to say. All right, so interesting stuff. We'll try to report back if we hear any more details on this story. Here's the next story. And we, we we reported on this on our on our site concealedcarry.com. Link is in the show notes. And uh, the title of this one is "Want to Hear a Joke?" An off-duty FBI agent walks into a bar, <laughs> and many of you probably already have, have probably already seen this story. Uh, it made the rounds uh, pretty pretty quickly over the weekend. And basically, the story is that an off-duty FBI agent had a negligent discharge over the weekend as he did a backflip while dancing. And you can see the video here. And uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of start this playing. Um, he's got moves, you know, compared to me. I, I, can't, I can't do what he does. So uh, props to him, I guess, on having some moves. But he goes and he does his backflip move, and his gun flies out of what appears to be a small of back holster, and it flips over his head, lands on the ground. He sees it, realizes, oh, crap, that's my gun. It just flipped out of the holster. And as he goes to retrieve it, oddly enough, he reaches, I think, forward initially with his left hand. Um, his right hand is right there, too. But I think it was his left hand uh, that activated the trigger. And it fires a shot, which wounded an attendee at this event in the le- lower leg. Fortunately, that person was going to be okay. And uh, the FBI agent... Pending an investigation, who knows what's going to happen with him? So, kind of a crazy story. Like I saw. And by the way, here's my comment, Matthew. My comment is when I first saw the reporting on this off-duty FBI agent at a some sort of you know club dancing, gun falls out of his holster and hits the floor and fires. Like it sounded like the gun went off just because it hit the floor. Yep. And I heard that report, and I'm like, bull crap, <laughs> unless it's a 320. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, which, I mean, hey, I guess that is technically possible. But you know what, guys? Any gun, honestly, it is possible for it to fire when it's dropped. It's maybe not likely in some in some designs, uh, but is it possible? Yeah, it's possible, okay? So we don't make a practice of dropping guns. And I would also say don't make a practice of dancing and doing backflips while you are carrying a gun and you should probably make sure your holster in case you are going to do that don't don't do it but in case you are going to do that make sure that holster is really well retaining um 
but I, I knew there was something more to this story. I knew, I'm like, I'll bet you it hit the floor and it discharged when he picked it up. And the video came out the next day and I was like, bam, there it is. Yeah. And that's why we, you know, people always harp or uh, instructors always harp on like, if you drop a gun, don't try to catch it. Like let yeah. the gun hit the deck. I mean, because you trying to grab, grab the gun and catch the gun you're, there's a potential that your hand slips into the trigger guard and you squeeze the trigger as you're trying to catch it. And, and that's a much higher likelihood than it going off when it hits the deck in a certain, you know, that one in 16 billion angle, you know, and it hits, hits the ground and discharges around. So, um, that's, that's one lesson, huge, a huge lesson. I mean, he didn't try to catch it, but he grabbed it right away when he saw it. And obviously, it was that instinctual, like, oh, I got to grab it. And he didn't. And he he's trying grabbing. to hurry because it's like. Exactly. Because he's standing in the middle of this crowd of people and he's like, oh, crap. That's my gun. Got to got to grab that fast. Right. And that and, was and, the problem. Yep. He, he, he you know, kind of lost his mind for a quick second there. And that's all it took. Um, and obviously, this is how policies get born. Um, in any department. So I'm sure the FBI will have a policy now <laughs> on something like this. No, no uh, gymnastics <laughs> while you're carrying off duty or something like that. But like in, in all truthfulness, you know, he was, it was a stupid thing that he did. Now, I, I you know, some people were like, oh, he shouldn't have been drinking. We don't know if he's drinking, right? Yeah. Um, now, by the way, have, in some states, you, you would, in, in some states, it's illegal to have a gun on the premises you know, where it's an, and a lot of times I use the rule of if the business derives more than fifty percent of its revenue or income from alcohol sales, then guns are prohibited. Now there'd be states. I think Texas is in that category. Um, I don't remember all of them. There's a few that are kind of like that. Uh, in Colorado, by the way, just so it's clear, because this happened in Colorado, in Denver. Uh, it, there's nothing in in state law here that prohibits based on the establishment being a, you know, a liquor serving establishment as far as can still carry, unless that business chooses to, you know, uh, not allow guns or they post no guns or whatever. Yeah. And, and so, you know, people speculating on that, you know, it, whether he was breaking the law or whether he was out drinking alcohol, we don't know, but obviously he made a mistake when he was carrying first of all he shouldn't have been carrying in that holster like if if you have a if you have any holster if you're carrying in a holster that your gun will fall out even if you're not you know if if you go upside down most of us don't plan on going upside down but if you have a holster that won't secure your gun at least just not from someone pulling on it but just inverting the gun the holster yeah then you shouldn't carry in that hole in that holster totally. because you might be in, involved in a fight or you have to run from somewhere and, and you know, yeah, you're not flipping down, down the aisle to get away, but if it's going to fall out when you're doing a flip, it's probably going to fall out when you're running as well. So get a holster that has at least some level of retention, yeah. you know, um, uh, it doesn't have to have a, you know, a thumb break or anything, but something that's going to hold your gun. Um, and then, you know, if you're caring, man, you gotta, you kind of got to know your limitations when you're out there doing, you know, back handsprings and moonwalking and all that stuff. I mean, you might, it might not be the night that you, you know, bust out all your dance moves on, uh, um, if you're caring or something. So it, there's, there's a lot of lessons to be learned and I'm sure that this guy is, yeah, 
I, I, I mean, I've, I, his response is the craziest thing for me. Like after he, he just holds up his hands, like, Oh, I'm out of here. Like I didn't do anything. He like holds <laughs> to me. Arm. It looked like, Oh, oh, my bad. I'm out of here. See yeah. ya. You know, yeah, like I'll, I'll see you later. And it's like, dude, wait, you, you just discharge a weapon in, in the middle of a crowd. Maybe you ought to see like, Hey, did yeah. I, to shoot someone do i need to perform well, some you can see that the crowd is tight and tight enough around him they <laughs> formed you know the you know the circle that he's in the middle of the likelihood that he hit somebody was like 99.9 percent <laughs> yeah and as a law enforcement monster you'd be like oh well maybe i should what? check and make sure everybody's okay instead yeah, of yeah right like skedaddling. peace out guys like <laughs> that's that's it for me mic drop no. boom <laughs> i'm out fbi yeah. out um, it's not how you end your, uh, your dance routine, right? So uh, Jason, by the way, says that uh, in Florida, I think he's, he says Florida is, so I think he's implying that Florida does not. Oh, and I've confirmed it here. I'm using actually our Concealed Carry Gun Tools app, and I've gone to the uh, maps portion, and under maps, you tab over to uh, over to laws, and I can pull up Florida here, and in a jiffy, it says restaurants serving alcohol. Some dining areas may be allowed, but... Establishments that primarily serve alcohol are built or bars are prohibited. So that's good to know, Jason. And Don commented that in North Carolina, it's permitted as long as you don't drink. And that that's pretty common to a lot of states. That's kind of how it is here in Colorado. So let's see here. Restaurants serving alcohol for North Carolina. Those with permits may carry in establishments that serve alcohol. And, and usually where we say as long as you don't drink, usually that's just like kind of a general rule. Um, a lot of times there's not specific statutes that say like one way or another very clearly as to what the rule is as far as being uh, intoxicated or drinking alcohol um, while you are carrying or in possession of a gun. Um but uh, I, I just think it's a, a, a good practice to, if you're going to be consuming alcohol, it's probably best that you disarm yourself, per, particularly when that's being done in public, right? At home, I think it's a little bit different or whatever, but, but it's, it's probably still, you know, a good practice. So, yeah, anyway, that's it. North Carolina is similar to Colorado and many other states. Uh, understand the laws of your states, and you can do that very easily by using the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app, where we have a very easy-to-understand, quick-access uh, law summary in the app. Well, tough lessons to be learned by this FBI agent. Um, one thing, other thing I did notice, by the way, is that he appears to me to be using a small back holster, and when he puts the gun back, it appears that he's using a palm-out type uh, uh approach as he is drawing or holstering that gun and i generally and i know J this is actually a big thing with jacob like he would be harping on this like no tomorrow um but it's far more effective to draw from small of back with your palm inward to the body it's a lot more of a of a strong you know stronger uh, motion you can use bigger muscle groups when you rotate that arm over you actually uh are it, it's it's not it's a trust me it, it's a lot uh, easier for that arm to get pinned there. Uh, you don't have nearly as much strength. Um, and I think it's also harder to draw that way because you got to try to get all four fingers behind the gun and against your body um, that sometimes interfere with the holster as opposed to drawing the other way. You typically have less interference. Anyway, just thought that was interesting. You know, an FBI agent uh, maybe doesn't know what the best way is for uh, carrying small back. All right. So New York Post reports, Hawaii man pulls gun on neighbor checking on lava threatened home. 
And so we know that for a couple weeks now, uh, the uh, volcano there, uh, Kilauea, uh, has been erupting, destroying homes, uh, causing all kinds of problems. Uh, that's what you, you know, you, 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 you agree to that if you buy property somewhere near a volcano, unfortunately. Uh, so anyway, and, and by the way, I don't mean to make light of that. It's a serious business. And I understand people's lives are completely turned upside down uh, because, and, and they're never living there again, most likely, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's pretty sad. But um, anyway, one other thing that is really raising the temperature is people's uh, attitudes towards one another, unfortunately, at least in the case of this man. By the way, he has been found to be a previously convicted felon. Um, he's been arrested and charged and convicted on a couple different crimes. I think one felony and several other misdemeanor charges, some of those going way back. But you have this Hawaiian man who... Uh, gotten some sort of argument with a couple of people. Uh, one of these individuals was 32-year-old Ethan Edwards, who lived in that neighborhood. Um, their home was, I believe, you know, compromised because of the eruption of the volcano. And for whatever reason, this man uh, confronts them. John Hubbard, he's 61 years old. He draws a gun on Mr. Edwards, the 32-year-old, threatens him with it, tells him to get out of here, uh, and when Edwards does not immediately leave, the man even fires, I, I counted two shots that you could hear in the video, uh, that did not strike the man, or as far as we know, anybody else, but he, at periods between these shots being fired, he's actually pointing the handgun, it's a revolver, at the head of Ethan Edwards, with his finger on the trigger. So, uh, kind of a crazy story and a crazy video that went viral. Uh, we need to make sure we keep a cool head in situations like this. And also, too, Mr. Edwards, boy, he's got he's got balls, man, because he just kept kind of arguing with the man for a few moments. And I'm like, dude, as soon as a gun comes out, um, it's not worth it, bro. Like, get out of there. <laughs> yeah, it's cra- and it's crazy. I mean, and you think what could have possibly started this and yeah there's when there's natural disasters there's looting right we get it yeah and you don't want anybody coming in your neighborhood and looting i get it but there's still that's a property crime and so even if he was looting which he obviously wasn't because he lived there but you know to go out there and point a and, and you can see that he i mean we don't know what happened prior to that but throughout this whole such the whole video that we see He's pursuing the he the guy with the gun. Uh, what's his name? Um, Hamill. The guy with Ham- the gun is John Hubbard. 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 So he's pursuing the other guy. He's he's actually you know instigating this whole situation. And many times when he points that gun at, at the guy's head with his finger on the trigger, it looks like a single action revolver, right? So like super light trigger squeeze. I'm I'm thinking, man, this is this is not cool. Like even if he didn't intend to shoot the guy when he has his finger on the trigger, it's very likely he could have. Um, so obviously he yeah, has no, yeah. he has no self-control, no self-restraint. Um, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It does look like a, kind of like a Colt single action uh, style revolver. Um, yeah. So Cause doesn't he, he actually like cocks the hammer yeah, back kind of for effect, back. you know? Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, dude, and, and the other guy, you know, man, I, if there was another person, imagine this, and this is what I thought. Imagine there's another person with a firearm in that area seeing this go on. I mean, 
the, 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 the potential or, you know, the potential for this to become um, a very bad situation, even for Hubbard, when he thinks he's, you know, the man with his single action revolver and he's going to handle the situation, the potential for him to get shot by somebody else is, is, is definitely very True. high. True. And well, so, except that it is Hawaii. Right. Right. There's like, he probably has the only gun that's, <laughs> that's on the whole island, right? Unfortunately, yes. I mean, semi autos are basically unheard of in, in Hawaii. Uh, revolvers, uh, if you, there are some exceptions, but oops, I'm trying to get back to, uh, I'm messing with the screen here. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, good insights, Matthew. And, and, uh, so this guy, just so you know, he's been charged. Uh, he, one of those charges was the fact that he is a convicted felon in possession of a firearm. Uh, so, you know, but there you go. He's he's a felon, and clearly he's been known to break the law before, and that's what felons do. They, they're known for breaking the law. Um, you never know who you're going to encounter, okay? And that's why, like, it's so easy to let things get out of hand. I mean, things can happen in an instant. That's, this is the big lesson of this story, is that, you know, so you know, the, the older man who, who is the who's in the wrong here, who, who as far as he's the one that draws the gun and fires shots, uh, he, he is probably perceiving, hey, these guys are in an area they shouldn't be. Uh, there's no reason for them to be here. And Edwards, the younger man, he he keeps saying, dude, I live here. I, my house, I, I live here. I have a right to be here. And then they're just on, a, as far as we can tell, a public road. Um, but, but so like on the one hand, I could totally see even myself where somebody's telling me I need to leave, yet my house is right there and having words exchanged with them. Okay, but this is how quickly things can escalate because you don't know who you're dealing with. In this case, you're dealing with a former felon, or well, a convicted felon, and it doesn't, you know, I mean, you you just don't know this about people sometimes, and the right thing said at the wrong time uh, gets this guy's blood to a point where he's willing to pull that gun out, and uh, this could have ended totally differently where. Uh, this Edwards fella got shot, or and or one of his friends, because he had a couple of people with him. So crazy stuff, crazy stuff. And and Don asks us for a link for the app. Sorry about that, Don. And Matthew, we make sure we post these uh, stories in the in the uh, comments as well. There you go, Don. So let's move on now to the next story. We still got quite a few we got to cover. Next up from HeraldOnline.com. A Rock Hill woman shot herself firing at intruder, cops say. The suspect was a pit bull. Boy, we're having all kinds of interesting mm. situations here today. Um, a couple days ago, a woman in Rock Hill. Uh, Rock Hill, this is actually in... Hang on, I had it, and then I lost it. This happens to me all the time, because we talk about so many different places. That's a challenge with doing a national podcast. And you'd be amazed, by the way, how many news sites don't say a word on the site as to where they are. It's like the Herald. Well, where the heck is the Herald? <laughs> I don't know. You, you don't know? <laughs> I have no idea where the Yeah, I thought I had it pulled up here and I, I honestly Rock Hill, wherever the heck that is. It could be Texas, it could be Ohio, it could be Colorado for all I know. Uh anyway. So she shot herself in the leg after a stray pit bull entered her home, police said. The woman whose name was not released told officers that she was in her Simrail Street home wherever that is, around 11 p.m. Saturday when the pit bull came into her home and started growling at her. 
The woman told officers she first fired a pellet gun at the dog. However, the dog came... By the way, that's kind of dumb. I don't know. Uh, I guess it depends on what you're trying to do. Maybe a pellet, I guess, would get a dog to to leave, I guess. I don't know. However, the dog came back in the door, and the woman used a thirty-eight caliber revolver at that point, firing two shots at the dog. One of the bullets fired from the revolver struck the woman in the leg, officers said. Police seized both guns. No charges were filed yet in what was described in police reports as an accidental shooting. So, I mean, it'd be interesting to know what exactly was going on with this dog that had managed to make its way into this person's home um, and why it was being threatening towards her. I don't, I don't know, you know, but uh, this is kind of an interesting one. I mean, we, we've got some stories coming up that are of the traditional home intruder type. Uh, this is not a typical home intruder, but you never know what you're going to be faced with. Here's what I see, Matthew. Um, Cause it, it seems a little bit strange, right? You got a dog, that comes in and is being threatening towards you and you grab your revolver and you go and you shoot two times at this dog. Now, typically when we shoot at something that's coming at us, that is a threat to us, it would be in front of us. Okay. Um, a person would be face to face with us potentially. Right. So in other words, the gun is being fired, uh, to our front and probably more or less level to the ground, maybe slightly downward. Okay. In the case of a dog or an animal, if if that as if you are shooting at that animal as it is as it is approaching you, um, you can see how that animal might actually get up to or around your legs, and as you are trying to track the animal and continue shooting at it, you might bring the gun in, you know, or your your leg may come in uh, within the the line or the what am I trying to say? It might come in line with the gun. And you're going to yep. shoot yourself. So that's one risk that like, I think is important to understand. Here's another thing that I would say. Maybe she fires one shot at the dog. And because of the intensity of the moment and her heart rate and all this going you know, bonkers, uh, that she shoots a shot and then lowers the gun and doesn't realize her finger's still on the trigger and for whatever reason you know, p- pulls a second shot. Um, while it's kind of down along her leg. Um, crazy things happen. That's, there's a reason why we need to make sure we have the absolute best, most perfect trigger finger discipline uh, so that as soon as, a sh- as soon as we're done using a firearm, the finger goes straight off the trigger. And then also just understand how quickly uh, you know, the angles can change to where, where you were shooting a moment ago was okay, but now because this animal now makes its way up and around your body. You got to be mindful of where your body is in relation to your gun. Those would be, those are my observations. Yeah. And that's exactly why uh, I wanted to include the story. Um, not just because obviously, you know, it's uh it's a, it's a weird one, but the fact is just like you said, shooting is dynamic. It's not when you're in a when you're in a fight or you're defending yourself against a target that's actually moving or a threat that's moving and even though um you know the person we might be attacked by somebody head on and we're you know at a level distance or a level plane um that fight could easily go to the ground um that they you know they could try to take you down in some sort of wrestling move and now they're around your waist or your, or something like that so um it's it's these types of you know, atypical shooting positions and things like that, that, um, can cause problems if you've never thought about it. And and so not a lot of ranges allow you to do it, but these are types of things that having uh, a cert pistol with a laser where you can actually 
see wh- where would that round go if if I was shooting at somebody that was up on uh, you know wrapped around my my waist and I was falling back. Oh wow, that that would go right through my thigh, you know. So um, dry fire is a good way to kind of uh, get yourself in these awkward positions and, and see exactly how you would have to manipulate the the gun to to keep from shooting yourself. Yeah, don't shoot at animals or anything that's like down around your feet just don't don't do it It, it, i think the risk is too great um Mm -hmm. and and, you know we deal with this too as we teach uh our triple guardian course as we shoot from different positions uh shooting from like a supine position that's where you're typically laying on your back uh feet need to be spread apart a little bit actually as wide as possible would probably be preferable and and so you're basically shooting down kind of between uh, or above your legs. Um, but you, it's kind of like the opposite of a prone position to a degree, right? Um, I talk, when I instruct that supine position, I talk about the importance of understanding that if you are tracking a target, you're in that position. Um, yeah, I try to get my feet wide. And I even try to lay them kind of flat, more or less. But you've got to be really cautious about not tracking that gun into your foot, as you're moving left or right. And in fact, what I prefer to see happen, what I teach, is that shooting supine, you're, you're straight in between your, your legs, right? And as you begin tracking, basically where, and I, I, I just kind of like feel it, like, because I've done this enough times, and this is, this is where you need experience, um, preferably under the tutelage of a experienced instructor, but you need, ex- we, as shooters, with different positions, you should work with an instructor and you need to get that kind of experience shooting from different and sometimes awkward positions because you that insight becomes really key and it, it enhances your safety, okay? But I just, I feel in my body, I don't know how to describe it, that as I begin kind of moving close to my knee, um, kind of the inner part of my thigh, I automatically start rolling over to my side, okay? And uh, that and, and and if you do that correctly and properly, you don't ever run the risk of tracking the gun into your leg or your foot. Um, but that has to become kind of more of an automatic response, so that as you're doing that, you're you 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 hit that point where I just know where it occurs, and then I automatically start to roll, so everything stays out of the way. So, <clears throat> yeah, and. Um, Matthew's posted here the the link to our Ohio Triple Guardian 2018 course coming up in middle of July where we'll be teaching some of those very things. So uh, you can check that out. Uh, Crazy story there. So here's another one. Guns.com reports, National Bullet Control Bill would add background checks to ammo cells nationwide. This is a, a, a bicameral proposal, meaning that Democrats submitted this week uh, in both the House and in the Senate a joint bill that would require ammunition purchases and they they say several times bullets so it might also it might not just be loaded you know factory loaded ammunition it might be well. any bullet okay uh, but anyway the point is is that ammunition sales would require a background check the same check that we go through for a firearm purchase uh, through the FBI's national instant background check system um. Yeah, this sounds like it really sucks. 
it, the, the funny thing is, and, and the reason obviously, you know, we're against this and stuff like that, but the funny thing is, is in the, in the, in one of the quotes, um, Blumenthal says the same laws that prevent dangerous individuals from purchasing firearms also prohibit them from amassing arsenals of ammunition. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> if, if you're, if you had those great laws that prevented dangerous individuals from per, purchasing firearms, then why would you have to prohibit them from purchasing ammunition? Because well, there's, there's loopholes, Matthew, don't you know? Oh, right, oh wait, right. maybe the same loop loopholes might exist for ammunition too. Hmm, hmm. Interesting. Now, interesting. Here's the bigger issue is that how many of these mass shooters have passed background checks to begin with? Right? Right. So, I mean, what's the point? Um, you know, the Parkland shooter bought his gun legally. Okay. Could have bought ammunition just as easily, just as legally. Um, Las Vegas last year, same deal. All right. Right. Everything passed through a background check. Well, maybe not everything. We don't know for sure about all the, the sales or purchases, but I mean, the, the fact is that we have quite a record of mass shooters that have no prior criminal history that would prohibit them from purchasing a gun in the first place and therefore wouldn't prohibit them from purchasing ammunition if it goes through the same background check system. So, yep, okay, that's a big from me. Okay. Yeah, it, it's just the, we, we know and we're preaching the choir, I know, but it's just these laws just don't don't do anything that they they're they're intended to do all they unless your intent is to make firearm possession more difficult and more costly if that's your goal then these types of laws work great if your goal is to prevent dangerous felons or criminals from amassing arsenals of ammunition um it's not going to work it, yeah. it, <laughs> What, what sucks about stuff like this, I mean, we could definitely talk about the slippery slope, right? Because um, what we saw in California uh, is similar things, right? Now they're requiring background checks on ammunition purchases in California. Um, there's been proposals and talks about limiting how much ammunition you can purchase at a time. Also, how much you can have in possession at one time. And you know what? That would also suck. I just got back from a three-gun match over the weekend where I got to take hundreds of rounds with me to be able to shoot in this one competition. And yeah, I mean, like some of the proposals I've heard, and I'll tell you some of the laws that other countries have where it comes to this stuff, and I guarantee you, whatever other countries are doing uh, where it comes to ammunition control or gun control, the anti-gunners here in our country are looking at that, all right? Um, there are countries where you can you you can own and possess a firearm, but you cannot own and possess ammunition for it in your own home or very much ammunition in your home. There, there's there's countries where you can only purchase ammunition at a range, at a qualified range, thereby requiring you to purchase and shoot the ammunition that you purchase while you're at that range. Yeah, Tell so me that eventually these anti-gunners here in this country wouldn't want to see something similar. Yeah, I guarantee yeah. you they would love to see crap like that. Because it has nothing to do, it, it 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 doesn't require repealing the Second Amendment. Second Amendment. So they just go, you know, you just but make potentially. Them. I I still think ammunition would be covered by the Second Amendment. Me personally, yeah. 
Could I be wrong yeah. in that? I don't know. But this would be an interesting Supreme Court level case if something like this happened and we pushed this up to the Supreme Court. I don't. I don't know what would happen. Yeah, uh, because it, it, the the Supreme Court, the Second Amendment, they they the Supreme Court's ruled that it is um, that it does cover firearms for self defense, right? So, if how could you have a firearm under the uh, you know spirit of using it for self-defense is covered in the second amendment, but not have ammunition, then it's not, it's not available to be used for self-defense. So, yep. um, yeah. So I, I see where you're where you're going with that. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. Are we preaching to the choir? Of course. Uh, guess what? Hop on your phones, hop on your email accounts, whatever it takes and make sure your representatives know your displeasure of stupid proposals like this one this week to control ammunition sales. Right? That's 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 what we have to do in these kind of cases. And we got to make sure by the way that we don't lose the battle later this year in November with all these midterm elections. Okay? And I'm not trying to get all political on this podcast other than we need to make sure that we have pro if, you're listening to this podcast probably cuz you're pro gun and pro-self-defense, um, I don't care what side of the aisle you are on, but your representatives, your senators, your governors, they need to be on the right side of the Second Amendment, or you're going to start seeing some really crappy stuff happen. And we're not that far from losing the House and the Senate. And that could have huge ramifications. Okay, Maybe it's fine while Trump is still in office, but he's got two more years, and we don't know what's going to happen after that. Okay, So anyway... Let yourself let yourselves be heard. Um, I, I do this all the time. I send emails and, and phone calls to my representatives and senators all the time when I hear stuff like this. Yeah, it might not seem like it make it makes a difference. It might seem fruitless. It might be a pain in the butt. But you know what? I, I do know for a fact after having a family member that served in Congress, not not federally. This is in a in a house. Excuse me, in a state house. But he told me how much he appreciated calls and emails um, and, and communication from his constituents that let him know where they stood on certain issues. All right, so that might not might not be true of everybody, but and I'd like to think that my family member was was a a pretty you know upright dude. But uh, yeah, so let's let him let's let him hear our voices. CharlotteObserver.com reports: Can NC North Carolina? Ensure safe guns? Democrats want to ban handguns with dangerous design flaws. So North Carolina is, with this proposal, going down the same route as California did a number of years ago. And also Massachusetts now is in the same boat, and I think New Jersey, uh, where basically, uh, and of course, what do they say? The Ensure Safe Handguns Bill. Of course, they want to put a, a name to it that makes it sound like it's it's... Well, hello, common sense. Like, of course we want to ensure that we have safe handguns. Um, really what they want to do is, this is another opportunity for them to restrict certain firearms from you being able to purchase. All right. So the way this works is if this law was to be passed in North Carolina, similar to the way it is in California, then the state would have a roster of handguns that are certified. In other words, a list of approved handguns that are those are the only guns in that state that you can buy. 
All right. Now in California, that's led to a variety of gun models being prohibited and not able for not able to be sold or transferred or owned in the uh, potentially in the state of California. This would likely result in something very similar. Now, this story uh, goes, you know, it gives us a little bit of detail here, but. I want to share this quote right here. Uh, this is State Representative Verla Insko of Chapel Hill, and this is the Democratic House whip. She referred to the proposal as a common sense solution to an uncommon but deadly problem. She says, I grew up in a hunting gun owner family. Of course, they always begin, you know, statements like this with something like that. Look, I, I grew up hunting and shooting guns in my family. Of course, I'm, you know, I'm going to give you the impression that I'm pro gun. Well, and I'm actually not and had a brother who was a gunsmith and gun shop owner. Gun safety was a very high priority. Misfires are uncommon, but they can be deadly. I heard of one recently in Orange County that involved a law enforcement officer's handgun, a gun that would surely be on the approved list. Well, huh, that's interesting. Like, she just, like, blew out of the water her own argument that as far as her support for this bill because she just admitted that it's possible for misfires to occur, even in sometimes guns where it may have been on the approved list anyway. Mm-hmm. So what's the point of having the list? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the point of the list is to limit what guns people can carry because the more they think guns that they can limit, the more difficult it is to own a firearm um, or the firearm you want. And this is the same type yep. of insane um, thinking line of reasoning that has writers after the the last shooting say um, that the the shooter used less lethal guns because he used a shotgun and a thirty eight revolver. Um, you know that they're less lethal. The idea that one gun is is safer than the other because why? Because it has a magazine disconnect on it. So it makes a list because, you know, you have to have a magazine in it to fire around. Well, anybody who's been around guns at all knows that the safety comes from the person using the gun, not the gun itself. Um, and so yep. this is just a, a way to to further restrict gun ownership and make it more difficult, make it less advantageous um, yep. and, and say, you know, it's, it's obviously safer if the magazine only holds five rounds, right? We can all agree on that. That's common sense. So now you get people saying, yeah, I guess it is safer for five rounds. So let's, let's ban anything that goes over. It's just, it, it makes no sense. It's arbitrary ideas that people that never been around guns don't know a thing about guns. Well, she, you know, her, 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 uh, caveat to, yeah, I know about guns. I grew up around guns. I grew up around hunting. Okay. Obviously or, you did. Therefore I'm, I'm an expert that can yeah. comment on this issue. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I know what guns are safe. Well, what gun, what guns are safer than others? Like, honestly, a gun it, it can be dangerous, whether it's a 22, whether it's, I've seen people get injured with BB guns and shoot their eyes out. Like what, what gun, what gun is, you know, yeah, there are inherently injuries that could be greater. Um, but is that what you're talking about? Or are you talking about physical features of the gun it, requiring it to have a safety, requiring it to, you know, they, they make it, they, they throw in these things like, okay, past drop test safeties and things like that. I'm pretty sure most 
firearm manufacturers do a lot of this on their own because they have to meet certain standards. So it's, it's, it's totally, it's a self-regulating problem, right? Because I mean, so what you just said there, I know that there's some people that would take offense to that because they'd say, well, SIG, you know, it's a P320. Um, Here's the thing. How many many people got injured from dropping a SIG P320? Like out of the millions and millions? Yeah, I know. I think there was, what, actually like two documented instances or something like that, which, I mean, and I don't think anybody died from it. So, I mean, obviously we don't want anybody to get hurt, period. But you're exactly right. Millions of guns out there and a couple of instances occur. And guess what? SIG is going to fix that. And they did fix it because it's in their best interest to do so. They will go out of business very quickly if they have unsafe guns out there. Absolutely. Right? Um, it, it, that that's It's as simple as it is. Like, like I know that some people out there, conspiracy theorists in particular, would be like, well, you know, like they don't they don't really care about the consumer and and you know, they, they they couldn't care less. They just care about the bottom bottom you know, bottom line, you know, the what what the uh, uh, they just only care about the money. And well, okay, yeah, corporations and businesses are in business to make money, that's true. They don't make money if the products they sell kill people. Uh, on accident when it's not supposed to. So yeah, it's a self-regulating issue. Um, you're exactly right. All this is is an excuse in a really lame way of furthering gun control agendas. And specifically, this gives the state and some bureaucrats the power over what guns you can own. And that that's that's not cool. Next up. Another ridiculous story, and in fact, it has even more... Like, the writing in that last story was okay, you know, from that journalist. This one's on the Washington Post. Now, this should come as no surprise. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of ridiculous things are written on the WashingtonPost.com. Gun safes work, but most gun owners don't use them, is the title of this story. Now, a caveat, a disclaimer. Uh, In our own surveying of gun owners at ConcealedCarry.com, this is an absolutely true statement. Most gun owners do not use gun safes, at least 100% of the time. Okay, that's a true statement. Uh, it's a reality, and it's a reality that I'm not exactly f- pleased with. And I'm not going to, I don't want to, we, we've already discussed this on the podcast, and I don't want to make a habit of, of denigrating, you know, gun owners, you know, all of you, my peeps listening to the podcast. But look, here's the deal. It, it, yeah, I think you need to use gun safes. Okay, uh, I just to me to me that's what responsible gun ownership is about. Um, it, at the very least, it makes us appear to the outsiders, to the anti-gunners, that we are a bunch of crazy nuts when we don't store our guns in safes. That's the way it appears. So at the very least, beyond a safety argument, is the argument that. I think we should try to present as positive a picture in as positive of, of, of a light, you know, who we are as gun owners to everybody else that does not understand us because it gives them less ammunition to throw back our way as they try to restrict our rights, okay? That's, that's the first thing that I would say to this, all right? The reality is most of our gun owners do not use safes. And some of you are thinking, well... I live alone at home, or it's just me and my wife. We're in our 60s, whatever. Um, we don't have children. We don't have grandchildren. There's never any kids in our home. Like, I get it from a safety standpoint. That's fine. Like, whatever. Do do you do you. 
I will do me. I got little kids. I got to be concerned about that stuff, you know, about their safety, of course. But the perception of the anti-gunners is that we're a bunch of crazy nuts because we don't use gun safes. Okay, that's that's an issue. That, that's a legitimate concern. Okay, is that fair for, fair for me to say? But the writing in this article is ridiculous. Okay, um, America has become habituated to stories of teenagers too young to purchase a, a firearm who commit mass shootings with guns belonging to fi- family members. Recent gun violence in Santa Fe, Texas, and Noblesville, Indiana, are only the latest in a long line of attacks committed by teens with other people's weapons. Okay, that is true. Uh, teens. Uh, shooters, whether it's Sandy Hook, whether it's uh, uh, the Santa Fe, Texas one, right? Yep, kid got a gun from dad or mom that wasn't stored in a safe or they knew how to get into the safe. They had access, they had a key, they had a code or whatever, right? Okay, that, that happens. Um, my, my response to that, by the way, is that we as parents need to be good parents. We need to be involved in our children's lives. We need to know what's going on there. We need to be watching them and understanding them. And so that hopefully, you know, we, cause I, I, I'll tell you what, we're going to have a story here in a few minutes of a 16 year old boy who was able to defend himself from a violent attacker because he was able to get to a family owned rifle. Okay. And that's not the only time that's happened either. There's going to be a point where I will feel totally comfortable with my son Maybe it'll be when he's 15. Maybe it'll be when he's 16. Maybe it'll be when he's 17. Um, and this will probably come back and haunt me. You know, if I ever decide to run for office, somebody will come back and uh, pull this soundbite and say, Riley Bowman is not responsible and does not store his guns, you know, safely because he allowed his 16-year... He, he said he's okay with his 16-year-old getting access to his gun. Well, here's the thing. Um, there's a point where every parent has to decide when they can trust their child with certain things. And with proper education... Uh, and teaching and parenting, um, it can be. A, I had access to a freaking 30 30 lever action rifle when I was 14 years old. I had access to a 22 at a younger age than that. Um, yeah. And this has been, I mean, we had kids with all kinds of firearms way back in the day. No big deal. All right. Um, times have changed. Um, the, the, the point is, is that education and safety and all that needs to take place. And of course we need to make sure that our children are actually responsible and that we, we know that they're not going to be a mass murderer. Okay. I, I'm, I know I'm railing on things here, Matthew, and I'm sorry, I'm taking all the hot air in the room, but, um, I just wanted to point out here that this article, it's, it's featuring this idea that, um, guns are not stored in safes in the majority of gun owning homes. And they are bringing to light that that idea. It is a true, uh, it is a reality. Uh, but their goal with this piece, it's a hit piece on gun owners to show how irresponsible we are and that we need to be more responsible. And perhaps there needs to be legislation that forces us to be more responsible, okay? But here's a couple of statements that I just thought was ridiculous. Yet what seems like a common sense safeguard runs contrary to the dominant rationale for gun ownership, which is self-defense. This is very true, and it's a common theme on our podcast. And the NRA has fostered an ideology of perpetual vigilance against nightmare scenarios such as home invasions. Yeah, they happen. The gun industry caters to buyers motivated by fear of other people. Handgun manufacturer Glock, for instance, has marketed its weapons with ads that that depict break-ins and other con- confrontations with criminals. When gun owners 
uh, when gun owners prepare first and foremost to quickly retaliate against hypothetical bad guys, there's little room for more immediate considerations such as who might get a hold of the gun the rest of the time, which may be why a growing body of research shows that even though gun owners support the idea of requiring safe storage, not sure on that, but most of them don't actually use gun safes or take other precautions to keep all their weapons secure when not in use. Okay, so where I just like want to burst, <laughs> you know, the eyeballs out of, I'm bleeding from my eyes reading this sick, you know, messed up prose because that's what it is. I mean, it's a this is a hit piece. Um, the fact is, we share story after story after story after story after story of hypothetical bad guys that actually become real bad guys that actually try to or in fact do hurt good people and those people are successfully able to defend themselves on a daily basis in the con- in this country. Is that wrong for a manufacturer to depict that in their marketing? No. Is it wrong for the NRA to say, hey, we need to be vigilant and prepared for these potential criminals? No. Not one iota, not one bit. Um. Yeah. Anyway, just know that this is coming. Okay. You see this kind of article, Matthew and others and everybody, the choir. This is also another direction that we that these anti-gunners would love to go to to have more ammunition to get at us more with more control, more gun control, more ammunition control, more safe control. Yeah, because the more the more people start becoming. Um, accepting of laws like this, the easier it is to pass more restrictive stuff. And it's, it, it, it is like the slippery slope. But one quick thing I just want to add on to that is that these types of laws are always, um, you know, they, they punish somebody after the fact. So, so it, it doesn't actually prevent anybody because so the police can't aren't going to go door to door to ensure that, pe- that people are following this law, right? So when would this law be enacted? Well, it would be enacted after such a, a, such event, right? Where a kid gets a firearm, accidentally shoots himself or somebody else, or goes on a mass shooting rage, right? So then they go and say, well, how did this kid get the get the gun? Well, it wasn't it wasn't locked up. Well, now they're going to punish the parent for not doing that. Well. Honestly, couldn't they do that anyways without a law? I mean, if if a kid, if if as a police officer, if you arrive on a scene and you see a kid with a gunshot wound, and you say, "Hey, how did this kid get the gun? And where's your safe?" and he says, "Oh, I don't have a safe. I leave it on the on on the on the uh, the nightstand there." Well, at that point, you don't need a law to say that this guy is being is um, either you know a misdemeanor criminal uh, or, or mis- misdemeanor uh, child endangerment or felony based on the evidence. I mean, it, leaving a firearm out with a 40-year-old kid is child abuse. It, it's child neglect. Um, and so if that, it, 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 where that kid can get it. So I, I don't think you need actually extra laws to, to punish people for doing things that would endanger children yeah. naturally. So <laughs> I, I just... You know where else this leads? There's only one way to enforce a law like this, and that is what the city of New York does by requiring, I think, is it annual or is it just when they renew? They require inspections of your home and of your safe and how you're going to store and keep that weapon for you to get a handgun permit. Just just to buy and own a handgun, and not, not a concealed carry permit. Those are very hard to come by. 
just to own and buy a handgun in the city of New York, you have to go through a lengthy, costly, difficult permitting process, and part of that is an inspection prior to the issuing of that permit. And that's where this has to lead to if it's something that they're going to enforce because you can't enforce safety. You right. cannot. Yeah. You can pass whatever laws you want. The only way you can is to have regular regular and invasive inspections of people and their homes. That's not going to fly. Yeah, kind of scary. Frankly, I'm surprised that it's even allowed in the city of New York because I'm thinking, hmm, Fourth Amendment? Mm, yeah, I don't know. Well, civil liberties, you, you know, have abandoned actually protecting people's civil liberties, you know, um, so that, that they're more political um, organization now rather than saying, hey, this is wrong. We shouldn't have to have police come and inspect our homes for doing something legal. But yeah, they don't care. Now, Tristan comments, negligence is always is already against the law. And that's, that is true in many states. In many states, I think this article actually pointed that out. In 27 states, there is some sort of law where a person can be charged with various degrees of negligence, uh, you know, when a child or someone unauthorized is able to get access to a gun. Um, and that's, I mean, that is true to a degree. And uh, yeah, so... <sighs> And I don't necessarily have a problem with those laws. Uh, unfortunately, that sort of situation occurs after the fact. You know, something bad happens, and uh, we discover that the reason it was able to happen is because somebody was negligent. Um, that's that's fair. Don't be negligent. Don't don't be stupid. Um, yeah. Kind of like not wearing a seatbelt or buckling your child sure. in a in a car seat, right? Yep. I mean, yep. So. Well. Um, Let's get now to our Justified Saves segment. FoxCarolina.com reports homeowner shoots, kills two burglars with AK-47. Sweet. Now, probably not an actual AK-47 because I don't think it was, you know, a true AK-47 is fully automatic, folks. Um, it, obviously, it would have been an AK-47 patterned rifle, most likely semi-automatic. This is one of those types of guns that the anti-gunners would say, Michael Bloomberg and his cronies would say, what do people need this wep- this type of weapon for? This is a weapon of, of mass destruction. This is only for killing mass numbers of people. It's not a self-defense weapon. Does this one have a go fully semi-automatic? <laughs> I think this guy must have gone fully semi-automatic <laughs> on these guys because two men, it said, were shot and killed while trying to burglarize a home in the Colonial Acres neighborhood, according to Memphis Police Department. So this is being reported on Fox Carolina, which I'm guessing is one of the Carolinas news stories. But this is a Memphis, Tennessee incident. The shooting happened Friday evening. Both of the men were pronounced dead at the scene. The homeowner, who asked to not be identified for his safety, said when, when he arrived home, the men were already inside. I see my house being ransacked and the dog was still going hysterical in the cage, he said. When he saw me, he notified the other individual that was with him, hey, they are here. That's the moment, he said, when the suspected burglars pulled out guns, but he was able to get to a hall closet to get his. I had my own personal AK-47, he said. The homeowner admits it's not the first time there's been a shooting at his home. Whoa. Police markings show where the home was shot up less than a year ago. I don't know what's going on, but I know I'm going to defend my life to the best of my ability. 
The police identified the two men who were shot and killed as 28-year-old Azel Witherspoon and 17-year-old Damond Robinson. This is quoting the homeowner again. These boys need their father and some type of discipline. They're out here without any fear. He said he did regret the loss of life, but, quote, unquote, it was either me or them. Does not appear any charges will be filed. Appears to be a pretty cut and dry case of self-defense in the context of, of, the, of this person's home. But I, I love the fact that it was done with an AK-47. We, it's not the first time we've reported on stories like this. We've reported many times, and I know of many other instances where AR-15s, AKs, and similar weapons were used to defend people, citizens, regular Joe Schmo civilians. And so, yeah, the argument that these serve no self-defense purpose, I don't buy it. Matthew, your take. Yeah, no, you, you, you hit it on the head. I mean, we, we know because we cover the stories all the time. The people that don't know, they don't bother to, to you know, find these stories or, or even take into consideration these stories. Um, obviously, this guy lives in a, in, a, in a pretty rough neighborhood. If he's, Apparently. You know, or that <laughs> home, maybe some, you know. And, and, you know, that's not unheard of in bad areas. You know, the people that lived there before might have been selling drugs or had a lot of money and and they move out and the, the other people don't know that those guys don't live there anymore and they go and, you know, smash in the door trying to find drugs or money. It, it happens for sure. But um, the thing is, is, you know, w- he says it exactly. These these guys have no fear. Whether they're a 17-year-old, a 20-year-old, 25, what they have no fear. They have no moral character to second-guess or question the taking of life. And so if you don't protect yourself, if you think these people are going to spare you because, you know, it's human nature, and it, 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 they're not. They're, they're absolutely not. These people are predatory. They don't care. They'll kill people for $5 or a gold chain or an iPhone. It doesn't matter. And so, um, you know, the, the fact that this guy says, hey, I'm going to defend my, my, my life. Um, doesn't say anything about a family, but, you know, if he had a family in there, I mean, this is, this is the reality of people that don't live in gated communities and don't have the ability to go to anti-gun rallies with armed guards surrounding them. This is the reality of a lot of people in middle America that work for a living and come home and find two people that would rather just as well shoot them than pat them on the back and they have to deal with it. And so for the people that live up in, you know, uh, uh, in Capitol Hill 90% of the time and flying in personal jets and stuff, they don't care. They don't care about that. They don't see it. Um, so, yeah, great on this guy for for protecting his, himself and uh and you know I, he he does say later on he's he's concerned about retribution, you know. These guys obviously probably have friends that you know probably hey, we got to go and and you know get get uh get one on because of because of what happened to so and so. And so, yeah, this guy might be targeted again. So, um it, it's never it's a never it's not a good situation to be in um but you have to defend your life. You have to. Yep. It's your God-given right. Yep. Next up, teen shoots, kills uncle. While uncle was, he was wielding a hatchet trying to break into the home to hurt this teen. This is a crazy story. A couple days ago in uh, Mississippi, Rachel Cork 
said that her 16-year-old son is traumatized after shooting and killing his uncle. But it could have ended much differently. She said, yeah, my son defended himself, but it could have been the other way around. It could have been my son, the one I'm picking up and having to bury, but it wasn't. Jerry Lee Robinson, he's the uncle, tried to break into Cork's home in Ackerman, Mississippi on Tuesday. The boy was at home alone. The man was armed with a hatchet and standing on the front porch when the teen confronted him. Police told WTVA that Robinson made a sudden and aggressive movement toward the boy who was standing at the front door and carrying a two seventy rifle. At around 3.20 p.m., the miner fired a single shot at his uncle, who was found non-responsive on the porch and later died. Yeah, if you hit somebody in the center chest with a two seventy, hard to hard to survive that one most most times. The bullet pierced Robinson's chest. The miner isn't facing any charges at this time. Better not. Says the a grand jury will jury will hear the case in August. Okay, not sure what they got to figure out there, but um, because you'll understand, like you might be thinking right now, well, there's this seems a little strange, you know? Why was why would the uncle? be on the front porch of this boy's home with a hatchet. Like, how does this all come together? How does this happen? Well, it's not, <laughs> this is not the first time uh, that this uncle has done something crazy because it says here that, uh, well, let me just continue reading the story. The attack happened shortly after Cork left with her daughter to go to work. Um, the police say the man had threatened Cork's family two weeks ago. She, the, the mother of the boy said that, uh, what troubling things Robinson, her husband's brother, had done in the past. I have some videos where he came into my yard with two machetes, threatening my husband and everything. So it's not the first time um, that this is this sort of thing has happened in this family from this uncle. So this uncle is known to be violent, threatening, potentially dangerous and deadly. Um, this poor boy was home alone. Uncle shows up with a hatchet, is being threatening, approaches the boy, even though the boy's holding a rifle at this point, and the boy did what he had to do. It's sad, it's tragic, uh, but sometimes this is what needs to happen in cases like this. We're either reading a story about a dead 16-year-old boy, or we're reading the story about a much older and apparently crazier uh, man. Um, we've shared stories of situations where sons had to shoot and kill fathers or parents, and parents having to shoot and, and kill sometimes their, their children uh, for whatever reason. These things happen. Uh, it's sad. It's tragic, but it's still important. That I mean, like we 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 can't get stuck into you know into being too comfortable in certain situations uh, because of any particular biases. Um, if we're serious about being prepared and well defended, uh, I, I don't imagine. You know, it's hard for me to sit here and imagine. You know, a child of mine or a family mem- family member of mine. Uh, getting to a point where I fear for my safety, but um, yeah, uh, I don't know what else to say, man. But it's crazy. Yeah, and, and the uh, the firearm used is most likely a bolt action rifle. Yeah. Um, so one shot, right? It's not as crazy, scary, you know, uh, military grade weapon. So it probably would be considered you know, one of the safe guns were less lethal, right? Except the irony is, of course, that this is a high-powered rifle, much (laughs) more powerful than a AR-15 in terms of the, like, actual ballistics capability of the round that is fired from this this gun. Yeah, so, I mean, and that's, I just wanted to highlight that. (laughs) 
idiocracy or whatever you want to call it. But, uh, but yeah. And also, you know, in that, in that article, we'll drop it in the, in the notes, but in the article, there's a really powerful video of a home invasion. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's, it's not associated to the, the, the story we just read. Um, but it's really powerful. And if you haven't watched it, um, you should, and it, it, it will be a graphic explanation of why you need to protect your home and yourself um, while you're while you're at home because these types of things do happen. It's not a fictitious or I don't what was the uh, the one writer um, supposed hypothetical hy- hypothetical yeah bad guys it, yeah these aren't hypothetical bad guys these are really bad bad guys <laughs> bad hombres yeah. Bad things happen to good people, unfortunately. And the irony of a statement like that is that, yes, I do mentally prepare myself and consider the possibilities of what a hypothetical bad guy might do to me. And that's called mentally preparing, mentally rehearsing, mentally putting yourself in a mindset where you are actually prepared to act when a situation like that does happen. Now, it doesn't mean I hope that that situation happens. It doesn't mean I try to bring that about. It just means that Mentally, I am preparing myself for that possibility, unlikely possibility that it may be, because the alternative, and this is what the Washington Post would have you probably, you know, they want us all to be a bunch of little mice or sheep, uh, right? That we don't ever think of these hypothetical bad things that could happen. And, you know, that's what leads to things like Katrina and other disasters where people aren't prepared uh, physically, financially, their homes aren't prepared. They're not prepared themselves mentally and emotionally to deal with that kind of stuff. And things get out of hand very quickly. I don't know where the, what the relationship was. This is kind of a funny story, right? We share the one story and then it suddenly transitions over into telling, and it says, this is not the first time a person has used a gun to stop a would-be home intruder. And then it shares a completely unrelated uh, story out of Houston, which is the one with the video uh, showing these intruders inside the home, pointing uh, guns at, at at a mother and her children. I don't know <laughs> how that all happened, but it's true. But I think the statement, it's funny because they, they, they issued that statement like as if, Wow, like this, you know, it's not the first time it's happened, but it doesn't happen very often. It's not the first time a person has used a gun to stop a would-be intruder. Just in, just in case you didn't know. Not like we don't ever share like two of those stories at least every week on the podcast. Hey, Matthew, yeah. talk about this next story from KHOU.com. Victim shoots, kills suspected robber outside apartment in North Harris County. Yeah, so North North Harris County, Texas, uh, sheriff's deputies say one man is dead and two other men are being questioned after allegedly after an alleged robbery led to a shooting. Uh, crime happened at about 9 p.m. in the complex uh, near Place Rebecca. And deputies with Harris County Sheriff's Department say three men jumped another man, so he's by himself, gets jumped by three guys um, who is getting out of his car at the apartment. So. Theoretically, this guy's getting out, going home, probably in his comfort zone. Like, hey, I can let my guard down. Obviously not, because three guys jump him as soon as he gets out of his car, um, try to rob him. They held him at gunpoint, tried to rob him. But the victim pulled out his own gun and exchanged gunfire with the robbers. And how it turned out is one of the suspects was shot. Uh, all three fled to a nearby hospital where one of the wounded, where the guy who was wounded. He died at the hospital and two other men were taken in for questioning. Um, at last check, charges had not been filed and the robbery case 
as it remains under investigation, the victim was not hurt. So, you know, um, unfortunate that the, the one guy, uh, lost his life. But, you know, when you, when you go to rob somebody with a firearm, the, the chances are that y- you might encounter somebody who's not willing to give up their life, um, to you. And so, and, and the same token, you have to understand when you get involved, if, if you're going to get involved in the shooting, it's not always going to be one-sided shooting. You might end up getting injured as well. So, um, it's not a game and it's, 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 you know, for protection of your life. And this guy did a great job. I, I mean, uh, I don't know how he managed to, you know, it says, you know, they were holding them at gunpoint, how he managed to get, find the right opportunity to pull his firearm out, but great on him that he was carrying, that he didn't leave it in the car, that it wasn't in his home, that it was on his person and ready to be used when he needed it. Mm-hmm. Yep. My thing from this story is, is just another reminder of how critical it is to be situationally aware. Uh, this is not the first time this exact scenario has happened where someone arriving at home, arriving at their apartment and apartments are fairly common because typically you, you have to park kind of out in a general parking lot and then walk your way into your apartment or into your apartment building. And so there's that opportunity for somebody in a dark apartment where there's plenty of places to hide to be watching for that opportunity for someone that they think might be vulnerable to then target and attack and rob or whatever. Right. And now this guy, fortunately, was, uh, and maybe it's because he was being aware. I don't know. But, but this is, this is the lesson to take away from this. Don't let your guard down. Um, be situationally aware that is appropriate in, for the situations that you're in. You know, you're arriving at your apartment late at night and it's dark. That's a prime time for you to be looking around, checking your six. You know, looking in all the dark corners and the dark places, and if something looks out of place, don't park that car. Move, move on. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean that. That's just that's that's the way it's got to go down. Uh, late night at a at a store, a convenience store, apartment, or even just pulling into the into your driveway at home. Be looking around you. Be watching for potential places or areas where someone might be waiting for you. Um, you never know. Good on this man for being able to defend himself. Final story. This one on fox9.com out of Fridley, Minnesota. No charges against bystander who shot man stabbing at window after Fridley crash. So basically here's what happens. You have some sort of car crash that occurs. And I would say it kind of, to me, sounds like it, the, the, the kind of the main suspect of this whole situation. Maybe he intentionally caused it. I don't know. Because this is kind of a weird, bizarre story. No criminal charges will be filed against a driver who shot a knife-wielding man following a car crash. 4.20 p.m. on February 14th. So this actually, the story itself, the event happened a number of months ago, but we're now just finding out about it and, and we're hearing about it because this has been investigated and what's come out of it is that there's no charges filed against any of, you know, particularly against the, the gentleman that used lawful deadly force to defend life. Um, officers responded to this crash and involved four vehicles at an intersection. Callers told authorities a man, later identified as 33-year-old Simon Schiffler of Williston, North Dakota, had a knife and was trying to assault other people involved in the crash. 
Police said as the four drivers involved in the crash were getting out of their cars to exchange information, Schiffler began acting strange. According to witnesses, Schiffler physically pinned one driver to a passerby's car and groped and attempted to kiss a woman also involved in the crash. Witnesses said Schiffler then pulled out a large knife and attempted to assault another driver involved in the crash. That driver hid inside his vehicle, good on him, and Schiffler began stabbing at the windows of the vehicle in, a, in an attempt to break the glass. Here's a lesson learned. Breaking auto glass is actually harder <laughs> than people think. Mm-hmm. Another man who was not involved in the crash stopped to help as Schiffler was stabbing at the other driver's wi- window. The man was armed with a handgun. The man unholstered his gun held it by his side, told Schiffler to stop, and instructed other bystanders to back away. Schiffler then raised his four-inch knife and charged at the man with the gun. When Schiffler was about three or four yards away, that's too close, the man fired his gun. Prosecutor said Schiffler was shot three times. He died from his injuries. The man with the gun stayed at the scene and was cooperative with, with police. The evidence demonstrates the shooter had no reasonable ability to further retreat. Given the physical surroundings, proximity of other people, and the actions of Schiffler, the shooter had reason to believe he and others were in imminent danger. That's quite a story, right? Imagine this. You are suddenly, for whatever reason, in a crash, in an accident. And, uh, you know, most people, that sort of thing happens and they jump out of the vehicle and making sure that everybody, you know, everybody else is okay. And okay, let's start exchanging information, whatever, you know, somebody call 911 or maybe it's a non-emergency call the nine emergency number. We, we just need some, some assistance here, whatever. Right. And so you're, you're out of your vehicle. And before you know it, some dude is assaulting you potentially with a four inch long knife or some other weapon. Wow. Boy, things, you know, they just get turned right around on you faster than you know what to do. Fortunately for everybody involved, this man, this he was a passerby. He was, he just happened, you know, he saw something going on. He pulls up, he gets out, he happens to have a gun. A couple of things I noticed about this, uh, Matthew, is number one, he drew his gun, but it's almost like, okay, we don't know this for a fact, but because it depends on how he would have been standing, uh, you know, facing the, uh, the, the attacker. But, you know, when it says he held it down by his side, to me that would sort of indicate that he was still kind of keeping it somewhat concealed or at least hidden from view of this individual, um, but was ready for it to be used. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, at this point, he already is basically justified in using it. He is just giving that this guy out of the goodness of his own heart. Okay. He doesn't, he, he probably could just start pulling the trigger. Right. But he pulled, he draws his gun, holds it down by his side and says, dude, stop. <laughs> And then, of course, the knife-wielding attacker turns and faces him and then starts coming at him, and that's when the shots are fired. Um, But we've talked about this before in some other similar situations where, uh, you know, you don't always – and this is not necessarily intended to be about this situation, just a general statement, that you you don't always – need to be concerned with drawing that gun right away and using it right away, depending on the situation. You might need to be looking for – an opportunity, a momentary distraction, whatever it is that gives you a little bit more of an advantage or turns the tide. Because a lot of times the bad guys, guess what? We don't initiate the attack. We don't initiate the fight. The bad guy, he's he decides when the fight starts. And mm-hmm. he already has the upper hand. So everything that we got to do is reactionary to that. But anything that you can do legally to look for that distraction or that opportunity 
uh, to where you can then turn the tides around and turn it back on him, on the attacker. That's 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 a really important thing to understand. And uh, that may or not, may not have been what played into this situation, but that's kind of what I read into as I'm reading into this story, envisioning this. I can see that sort of thing playing out. I think yeah. it's an interesting story. Yeah, he he had a lot of strength. He he obviously um, kept a calm, cool, collected head, so he could respond appropriately. Um, didn't just go in there guns ablazing, try to associate, uh, assess what was going on. Um, so really important when you, especially, especially when you're intervening on somebody else's behalf, um, that's always a sticky situation. But one thing as I was reading this story is I was thinking, what if that was my wife with my five-year-old daughter and, you know, they're out there by themselves maybe. And this, you know, bystander with the firearm doesn't come by. And this dude's got a knife. He he might have caused a crash because he's high on something and he's out of his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might let might have led him. Maybe he's off his meds. I don't know. But like he's obviously not thinking correctly. Um, so maybe you know. And so I'm thinking, man, you know, I I hope that my wife would respond the way that you know we've we've kind of chalk talked these types of things and stuff um but it's it's a serious situation and and you gotta like understand that we kind of sometimes only put ourselves in the situation and say oh i would have done this or that but think about like your loved ones or maybe you have a teenage daughter that could have been involved in this and, and she's out on the road gets into an accident the first time she's ever been in an accident she doesn't know what's going on and she can't defend herself, you know? And, and so, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of good, good what ifs and, and, and things to think about and take away from this bizarre kind of a story. Yeah. It's a good personal reminder for me because a couple of weeks ago, my, my family and I were uh, driving we were going to do, you know, this, this thing together and, you know, spend some family time and, uh, we're on an interstate here, you know, through the middle of Denver. Everybody's familiar with I-25, anybody that knows anything about Denver. And it sometimes is a mess. Actually, it's usually a mess. And uh, because of where we're going, and this happens to be the fastest route, it's normally something I avoid, but it didn't make sense that particular day. We're, we get on I-25, I, uh, I and we're, we're not even on the freeway for more than a minute. And all of a sudden, I see a bunch of dust kick up, you know, probably about mm, 150, 200 yards in front of me. And I see a chunk of something, a tire or a piece of car or something, you know, kind of fly up in the air. And I, I immediately start slowing down. I go, oh, accident. Something's going on up there. And then I see a car shoot across like all lanes of, of traffic, hit the wall, you know, and I'm like, oh, hey, okay, you know. Um, and, uh, but I, I then, you know, become aware that there's multiple vehicles involved and, and it looked pretty bad. Um, I pulled over, you know, I'm, trained in, I'm not an EMT, but I, I know some basic first aid, uh, CPR, AED, all that stuff. I'm certified. Um, and, uh, and I'm a part-time LEO. So I'm like, okay, I, I want to make sure everybody up there is okay. I pull over, throw the hazards on, uh, you know, find a safe place to do that. And I immediately, I'm out of the vehicle, little trauma kit was with me and I'm running down to see and make sure everybody's okay. This is just a reminder to me that like, this could have been that situation where I'm running down there and was I armed? Yeah, I was armed too, of course, but, but I'm running down there and I'm thinking, you know, accident, accident. And next thing you know, you're actually be a, being assaulted. Um, so this is a 
this was a good one for me to having just experienced recently running up and assisting somewhat with that accident. And, the, and everybody was fine. There was a young lady that was uh, the driver of the car that flew across all the lanes of traffic and she got banged up pretty good, but we assessed her and she was fine. And, you know, everybody went about, I mean, she didn't go about her merry way. Uh, I'm actually sure she still uh, made made a trip to the hospital, but, uh, but she was doing fine. Vehicle was totally, dude, it was, <laughs> it, it was mashed pretty, pretty good. But fortunately her airbags uh, uh, protected her side, you know, door, steering wheel, all that, everything worked like it should. Anyway. So just a good reminder even for me to go, you know, that I'm generally pretty aware and paying attention and, 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 and making sure I'm not running headlong into a setup or, or something like that, some sort of, some sort of ambush. Uh, but I could, I could see that almost happening in that case because I was definitely focused on accident. People may be hurt, need to go assist, not thinking about the potential. And, and I know this is like out of the ordinary, this is outside of the norm, this story that we just shared, but it just goes to show how sometimes real life is way crazier than what we see on TV or in the, in the movies even. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even so in, uh, you know, a lot of terrorist um, training um, concepts is to use the vehicle as a weapon, then get out and start killing people. So, Absolutely. and that happened right here in Columbus uh, at, uh, at uh, Ohio state university yeah. not too long ago. And so that's a reality as well. Not, not saying that that's what happened in this situation, but, you know, it's definitely, it should be on your radar, at least somewhere in the back of your mind, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go help, you know, I want to help, but let me not put myself in a situation where I'm going blindly into this. Let me be aware of my surroundings, even, even in this situation where it might not seem like I need to, you know, guard against a terrorist attack yeah. or some dude that's, you know, whacked out on meth or something like that. Yeah. I, I would say that as a final word of advice, uh, when involved in an accident, don't let your first reaction to meet, to be to get immediately out of the vehicle for a couple of reasons. Number one, people have been killed for jumping out of their vehicles and then their car hits them, okay, or pins them. And number two, because you're exactly right, Matthew, in that this is not the first time that somebody has initiated an accident or used a vehicle as a weapon and then proceeded on to the next intended crime that they were, you know, meaning to commit. Um, and so when in an accident, uh, pause, stay put, uh, particularly for your own safety that you're not getting outside the vehicle and exposing yourself further. Cause I promise you, you might still survive another impact to your vehicle while you're inside of it, but you're probably not going to survive an impact when another car hits you directly. So, that's something that we see quite often that uh, people are just a little bit stupid about. And it's kind of a natural reaction. It's like, oh, crap, you know, like, well, let's, you know, make sh- let's go talk to this person, you know. And, and that, that you, you need to try to avoid um, doing that um, if possible. So, uh, so anyway, and Tristan uh, participating, participating a lot on Facebook today, he says, and if possible, have somebody watching your six. Oh, sure. I mean, it would, I, I, that's always advisable. Any, any situation we can, we're always better if we have somebody that's there with us and watching our six, and, um, but not always possible either. So you do the best you can and be situationally aware. So here we go. Another episode in the books. We are wrapping it up. Uh, a lot of great stories and sometimes crazy stories on today's podcast. I hope you found something of value here today. And if you did, I hope that you take a moment and share this with your friends or family. 
whether it be on Facebook or uh, wherever it is that you might share it. Sometimes even just word of mouth is awesome. If you say, hey, I heard these great stories on this podcast called the Concealed Carry Podcast, you should check it out. We'd love for this to get out to more people. Uh, it, constantly, the podcast is growing. We have many thousands of you that are listeners. We want to see many, many more thousands come into the fold because we know there's many out there like you that maybe at one time didn't have the knowledge, didn't have the information, didn't have the education, did not have the preparation. And hopefully, like many of you that have kindly let us know, this podcast has been a part of helping you obtain that. So, a reminder that today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation, guardiannation.com, uh, which also is another part of our effort to further train, educate, inspire, and prepare uh, serious gun owners like yourselves to be guardians. So head on over to guardiannation.com if you're not a member already and see what it all has to offer. And if you are already a member, make sure you take advantage of all benefits, including the online video archives, the Guardian Nation live events that we do. We've got another one coming up this month. We'll announce the details on that shortly. Actually, I think we have confirmed that one, haven't we? Uh, yeah, yeah. That is June 20th at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. So that'd be... 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 p.m. Central, and 9 p.m. Eastern Time. On June 20th, we will have as our live guest this month, tell us who it is, Matthew. Mr. Eric Frohart. Yep. And Eric Frohart, for those that maybe are not familiar, maybe you've seen his face or seen his images, uh, but he, if you're familiar with NRA Carry Guard, you've probably seen something with him in it. Uh, or if you if you saw the uh, kind of the, the uh, web series that Night Springfield Armory did last year, Night of the Saint. It's been about a year ago now, uh, which was a kind of a, a competition, a shooting competition of sorts of sorts with uh, several women that competed. Our good friend uh, Caitlin, uh, she she was a winner of that, which was pretty cool to see. But Eric was the primary instructor during that uh, television or web. It was a web series. It was filmed and then it was aired online. But Eric Frohar is a former Navy SEAL. Um, he knows his stuff. He's a smart dude. And uh, he's going to be our guest in the month of June on Guardian Nation Live. So we hope that you'll join us for that and make sure as a Guardian Nation member that you're taking full advantage of that opportunity because you do need to be a member to actually attend uh, live, and for, especially for the Q&A part of that on uh, June 20th at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Um, and if you aren't able to make it that evening or make any of these sessions, you can always view them in the archives. Usually they go live a day or two or three later uh, in the archives in the Guardian Nation members only area. Also a reminder of the Glock E-Trainer, GlockETrainer.com and of the Triple Guardian course that we're bringing to Ohio in the month of July, July 13th to the 15th. And I just realized, I don't think I gave the link earlier, Matthew, at the beginning of the episode. So go to concealedcarry.com forward slash Ohio Triple Guardian 2018. Okay, so Ohio Triple Guardian 2018. I'll just written out one word, concealedcarry.com forward slash Ohio Triple Guardian 2018. And that will uh, take you to where you can get signed up and also find out information on the courses we'll be offering in Ohio. And soon... Coming to many of you uh, elsewhere, we hope to be getting finalized our calendar for this curriculum in Texas and maybe a couple other places as well. And uh, so if you can't make this one, maybe you can make one of these other courses. And we'll be offering it also again in the Denver area um, eh, later this year. So we're still working out some of the details. 
Anyway, with that, hey, everyone, thank you for joining us on Facebook, those of you that did so. Uh, thank you, Anthony. He said it's a wonderful podcast. Uh, thanks. It's only wonderful because we have people that actually listen to it. <laughs> so thank you for being a part of it. Uh, a reminder, though, to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.